Welcome to Get Serious, our new series of podcasts where we speak to a wide variety of interesting people about leadership and work. Today, we are privileged to speak with Daniel Camilleri, Senior User Experience Researcher at Afterpay. Daniel is a behavioural scientist. After completing his master's degree in psychology at the University of Adelaide, he went on to work for Uber in San Francisco, where he worked with the guru of behavioural finance, Professor Dan Ariely from Duke University. Daniel talks to us about his background, life and culture in Silicon Valley, and working with Dan Ariely. Welcome to today's podcast, Daniel. So Daniel, before we talk a little bit about your experience in working for Uber in San Francisco and your current role at Afterpay, can you tell us a little bit about yourself specifically, your psychology work, your background in psychology here, uh, what you were interested in, what you got into? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've done a master's of psych, as, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, really interested in human behavior, which is why I got into psychology, like how to influence it and change it and sell to people and what makes you know, people tick. Uh, and that's why I'm yeah, super, super fascinated with uh, behavioral economics. Uh, and yeah, I did my, my thesis on work engagement and how meaning, like getting meaning from work gives you like a lot of intrinsic motivation, which leads to predict engagement, which um, all uh, most successful employees, uh, you know, are very engaged in their job uh, and trying to unpack why and what, what are the drivers behind that so companies can you know, influence it and change it. Um, and your honest thesis was on employee engagement. And what was your conclusion there? How do we, how do we in, increase engagement, engagement uh, in employees? Yeah, you're probably... You're probably familiar with the, the JDR model, the job demands resources model. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. So the more uh, demands on you as an individual, um, potentially less engagement, or there's, I guess there's diminishing returns and, uh, you know, there needs to be an optimal level of demands. Uh, but the more resources that we give you, the more likely you are to be engaged. So if I give you autonomy, if I give you feedback, if I give you supervisor support, um, peer support, um, there's a number of these resources that I guess boost engagement yep. and my thesis looked at what could we, how could we elaborate that model of jobs demand, job demands and job resources to include meaning and meaning just means like um, to what extent do you derive meaning from going to work every day? Like are you passionate about the company's mission or you know where you're heading as an individual and um, that is pretty much uh, almost like collinear. So it's, it's so similar to the meaning of engagement. It's so strongly correlated um, that, um, yeah, it was like a 0.8 correlation. So you could pretty much ask the question of, like of someone, like how, to what extent do you get meaning from work? And that's highly predictive of engagement. Pitching or framing their, their, their vision or their mission in ways that like help people derive meaning from what they're doing. It's like purpose. So the, the, the degree to which people derive meaning from work has a direct correlation to the level of engagement. So I, I guess yeah, that if they yeah. super strong correlation point eight, I think you said. So if yeah. they do derive a great deal of meaning, i.e., I can see the work I'm doing is having an, an impact. It's meaningful for me, made meaningful for others. I'm more likely to be highly engaged. So you can have all the resources, but in a no meaningful condition, they're not going to be engaged. Yeah, right. Less, you're going to be less engaged, much less engaged. Much less engaged. But if you, let's say you derive lots of meaning from work, but don't have the resources, what happens then? 
Yeah, well, I mean, like predicting what would happen, but like I'd say that you're more likely to be more engaged than the other way around because you're going you're gonna to find ways to make it work, I think. Okay, you're going to find ways to make it work. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, All right. and the example I used was uh, like, you know, and SpaceX is doing really well still. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're not highly resourced individuals at a company. They're all working crazy amounts uh, under like the Elon Musk culture. And yeah. the whole mission and thing that he pitches to everyone at SpaceX and Tesla just gets them to be, um, you know, doing pretty well competitively against other businesses that are, you know, twice or three times as fun. And so do you think that that's because uh, Elon Musk is a good communicator and he, he enrolls people in his vision and, and large part of that is tapping into meaning, what's meaningful for people in their lives? Yeah. Yeah, like he does some things really well and other things really poorly, but he taps into the meaning aspect. It's like if you want to work right. here, you're going to like, you know, invent the next space age for humanity. Right. But it's going to be really hard. So you only yeah. come if you... He's, he's, people who, who, who are going to resonate with that vision and that meaning. And then, you know, compared to other companies, he provides much less resources, but they're able to get it done pretty uh, spectacularly. Okay. Well, you've done pretty spectacularly for yourself. You ended up doing your master's degree here in South Australia. And then somehow you ended up in San Francisco working for Uber. How did that happen? That happened. Uh, I joined uber in in adelaide with like always the vision to to go over there for a little while and see what it was like um, you know it's big scale over there all the developers and product teams and pretty much where most of the the tech comes comes from around the world um so i uh, I, I i joined in adelaide we this was in 2017 uh, when uber was still pretty new in australia at that point um and so i went through that process of growing the city and growing the, the team here locally. Um, but it was a, it was an operations type role where you kind of, you run the whole business locally. So you, you're trying to get thousands of drivers, you're running marketing for, you know, trying to get like hundreds of thousands of riders to, to you know, fulfill that demand and, and balance that, that marketplace between the two. Uh, but the, the dream was to kind of take my psychology degree and the HCI stuff that I'd done uh, and, you know, work in a research or UX research slash design type role over an SF. And then uh, I, uh, I managed to get myself on a few projects uh, uh, to do with like rider loyalty and, and rider engagement um, mm -hmm. and traveled to a bunch of different countries. And then they hired me in SF. Uh, and so I was there for almost two years uh, doing, uh, actually doing a FinTech within Uber called Uber Money, a FinTech startup within Uber. Um, we launched that in October in Las Vegas, which was a bunch of, we, we have uh, like millions of drivers around the world and yeah. many in Brazil and, and the U S are underbanked or they have pretty poor banking. Australia is very lucky, um, relative to the rest of the world, probably, um, top three, top five, uh, banked markets and like very good products from all the major banks. But the U S is just a total train wreck. Um, they have awful fees and all sorts of kind of unethical. Uh, business practices that just screw people that are uh, low income. So the idea was uh, we have all these potential people that will benefit from from that. Um, there was a bunch of driver financial health work we could do to help people um, save money and set aside money for the future, which is what I worked with um, Common Sense Lab and, and Dan Ariely's lab um, with Duke. 
Uh, and yeah, so we had Brazil and US as primary markets, um, you know, trying to get, build out this like fintech and banking financial product suite. So the beneficiaries of, of this are your drivers? Drivers. Drivers first and then potentially riders later. So to help them save more money? To help them save more money, have access to, to fairer services that aren't, I guess, predatory. Uh, or, you know, there's a big payday lending culture. I don't know if you know what payday lending is here. Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, like porn sharks or like, you know, someone who's going to give you like a hundred percent interest rate. Um, yeah. So it's just really unfortunate. Um, there's, you know, credit scores matter a lot of, over there. So even for me, as like an expat, um, it took me six months to build up credit, but before I had credit, everything was a massive pain in the ass to get done, getting an apartment getting a bill to even, even getting a prepaid phone plan was a, was a bit of a pain. Cause I hadn't, I was credit invisible. Right. If you can imagine being like an immigrant in the U S uh, and you just, this stuff takes so much time to set up. Like, uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big uh, sunk cost um, that it's just hard for them to kind of, to cope with that stuff. So they get, they get uh, sucked in on fees for banks and all sorts of things. Right. Okay. So tell me, what was it? What was the experience like working over there in San Francisco at the the epicenter of uh, you know epicenter. of the IT revolution, Uber and yeah. you know companies like that? What was it like? What was the culture like? The work culture first, was, and then what was it like living there? Yeah, I uh, I, did, I never liked visiting too much San Francisco, but I actually really loved living there. Um, I lived in a nice in a little spot, little area called Hayes Valley. Uh, but the, the work culture was quite good. I think Uber had a, I, I mean, Australia, the, the culture was amazing. Um, America was probably a little bit, not quite as good, but um, still really, really great culture and great people uh, from all around the world. You know, my whole, my team was made up of people from like the Netherlands and um, bits and parts of America and all over Europe um, and China and everywhere. So everyone's traveling there to kind of have impact and, and, uh, yeah. you know, they're all very talented and pretty amazing people to work with. Um, so I learned a lot. What, how, how did you end up back here in Australia from Uber in San Francisco to back here? Yeah. Uh, a bit of a unfortunate story. So, um, COVID more, more yeah. or less is the one word answer. Um, everything's paused on hold. They're not building anything new at the moment the business was uh 90% down from from trips from february to march pretty much all around the world um and they decided to do about uh 30% layoff so i, I flew right. back to australia cuz i didn't want to stay in america it was getting a little bit uh a little bit scary uh, in some respects with just how they were handling stuff uh although california was quite good and san francisco was quite good uh so I, uh, I flew back in April and then in late May, I got laid off. Uh, and then, yeah, now I spent like a couple of weeks looking for a new role and, and found this uh, really awesome opportunity at Afterpay as the only researcher uh, in the whole company and uh, building out a little team and uh, start there late September, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. What's your objective? What yeah, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, uh, it's a hard, it's a funny question to answer, but more or less, uh, this, the, the first thing you do is talk to people, right? You talk to people about what they need from Afterpay. 
uh, and understand their pain points and, and what Afterpay could do. Um, but the, the role is like you're, you're a thought partner to the product team. So you're trying to decide the roadmap, like what should Afterpay build now, next quarter, next year? Um, why should they build it? How much money is it potentially worth? Do people want it? Uh, where should we build it? Should it be global? Should it be in this market or that market? Why? So you're kind of, uh, you're the, the eyes and ears of the product team. So they're, they're organizing what to build and you're trying to find reasons why that those are the right things to be about how a user experiences, say after paying its services, you know, it's involvement through, I don't know, uh, tapping a phone for a payment or how the bills are received. I, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what it's all of that. A few different types of research. Uh, like there's market research, which is more sentiment um, focused. Yeah. Uh, so like, how do you feel about Afterpay? Those types of like sentiment brand type questions. Yeah. And then user research means pretty much everything digital, the UI, like the user interface, the design of the things um, on on your phone, but also yeah, the, the in person in store experience it doesn't just have to be digital experiences it could be like a, a combination of like it could, it could even be like you know credit cards like physical experience but there's always some element of digital so it's end-to-end -end product experience anything that they build or they ship uh would be stuff that i would research and, and talk to consumers about okay try and find the next 100 million customers for them and keep that stock price going uh Going, going up pretty well <laughs> yeah. the last six months yeah it's it's been a rocket actually yes yeah, uh peak of the delusion phase of a bull market not not <laughs> specifically but um yeah the, the whole uh whole share market the last six months has yeah. been wild so tell me about other user experience uh examples out there that you find interesting I, uh, I love uh, some of the work Dan's done and his team at Common Sense on financial health and savings because that, yeah. that's a really hard one. That's a, like, here's a, here's a talk around the psychology of money and money being yeah. an abstract concept and saving being something that you do in the future. So there's all these like mental um, biases trying to like prevent you from thinking about that stuff. And most people struggle to do um, basic savings or retirement savings. Yeah. It's a problem for later. So right. got awesome research on, on how to bring it to the present and uh, how to get people to do the right thing, but for the wrong reason is like uh, one of the great things that uh, he's one of his uh, co-founders says, uh, Kristen. Uh, so I love, uh, he, 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 uh, he went to Kenya actually, uh, and tested a lot of these um, things with uh, like very poor people in slums uh, and gave them uh, a few different conditions. One was uh, if, if you saved a dollar, we'll match your dollar. So it was like a matching condition. Yeah. And there's two different types of matching, pre and post matching. So yeah. if I, if I, uh, if I give you the dollar straight away, does that have an influence versus if I give you the dollar dollar at the end of the month? Um, and then he tested that at differing differing incentive levels, like a 10% match, a 15% match, 20% match, etc. And then he also obviously had a control group where he didn't do anything. He tried um, just educational information uh, and, you know, educating people. Um, the education doesn't work pretty much. It's very small. Right. It's almost uh, 
there's a, a lot of meta-analyses around that too, that uh, financial education has like a 0.1% on wow. for people. So uh, it's not the, not the right way of uh, approaching it. I think the, the US spent something like $600 million a couple of years ago trying to educate uh, and build up financial literacy. That's amazing. Uh, at the end of the day, like bringing that education into the decisions you make is just much more difficult than just designing products that actually are better for people, which is what, like, that's what uh, a lot of startups and fintechs in US, the US are trying to do. Uh, so anyway, he found that education was not very effective, had a small, very small, like increase, but marginal. Um, the matching was somewhat effective and it kind of diminished after about the middle level, I think at 15% rather than 20, didn't really make a difference. I think the, the, mat, the instant matching, so the emotional, I guess, delight that you get from getting, a, getting the, the match straight away versus delayed, the instant gratification is better, so it's more effective. Um, so if you, dollar, if you save a dollar, I'll give you a dollar. Straight away, yeah. Yeah, that condition meant that, yep, they would save a dollar. I'll, I'll put a dollar down just to get a dollar. They, that condition meant that they would save more because they were getting instant gratification for saving. Yeah. Versus delayed gratification with like waiting to the end of the month for interest to be Right. Paid. Yeah. So that was like a, a nice little tweak. Um, but actually the most effective condition didn't involve giving money away at all. And they gave these gold coins. I have one somewhere here um, where the, this gold coin would sit on the family table and every week that they would successfully save, they would yeah. mark off. Uh, a little notch on the coin with a with like a piece of metal or something, and yeah. they would like the family would talk about it, and the like the, the usually the father or whoever was handling the money in in that circumstance uh, would say, you know, look at what I'm doing for for our future, and so it was creating this positive type of conversation around saving rather than kind of hiding the money away in a you know in under probably under a mattress or in a yeah. jar that kind of felt like a loss. Rather, so this this gold coin was kind of like a, a, something you could be proud about, and talk to um, with your friends, hmm. with your family, and say, you know, like getting a star. Really it's like getting it's a star like getting at a star school. For kids, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my other, my other friend says that behavioral economics is all the things that your grandmother knows um, that right. scientists are kind of just working out. So it's all common sense, but um, we're trying to tease out the reasons why for things. So it's like a gold star for kids, I guess, in, yeah. in some sense. But that, that's more effective than giving money away. Isn't that insane? <laughs> so so, so apart from that, what, what, what else is uh, keeping you interested in, are you interested in these days from a psychology yeah. user experience perspective? Yeah, I think recently the big one that everyone's been talking about uh, was, has been TikTok. Uh, TikTok, uh-huh. Yeah, the TikTok. I, I've been uh, trying to resist it as much as possible for the last few months. My girlfriend's been watching a lot of uh, dog videos and just like <laughs> silly things on it. I try and stay away from all that stuff. Um, but uh, I did download it about a week ago, re-download it, I would say, um, re-download it about a week ago. And I'm just like blown away at how good of a job they've done um, in terms of discovering new content uh, and just building a, a, like an awesome like social media experience. I think it's much better than Facebook and Instagram and, and, uh, and everything else. It's, it's just another level of, uh, of experience. Are they, are they so, ones on, 
so sorry what what when you say it's another level of experience what is it that you're impressed with it's it's uh, it's all content curation that that's good it's it, that's that's all social media kind of is it's like can i show people content that they're going to really love uh and you know some people are interested in dog videos i i, I had some friends posting about uh how crazy the financial investing information on TikTok was. And I was like, what do you mean? That just sounds kind of absurd, right? Um, but yeah, the, the information and, and, the, and the content's really strong. Uh, and they've got a really good UI. It's simple, it, it makes, makes sense. It's just not filled with junk in the same way that Instagram is. Um, I don't really, I use Instagram for a, for a side business that I run, but um, in terms of content curation for me, it just doesn't do it, it doesn't provide I don't want to spend any time scrolling through right uh, at all. So, I mean, kids these days are going to, I mean, we already know this, but you know, learning, if you want to, if you want to fix something around your house and, or you, you go to YouTube to get like a video yeah, of like how right. to do X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's clear that I mean, people's attention spans are getting sm smaller and smaller. And instead of, 15 minute videos or three hour lectures and whatever people are doing like 15 part TikToks on like, um, retirement investing, like just like wild stuff or like, here's how to read a technical chart, like in like, you know, 30 seconds per little sound bite. Uh, right. They're all really good. It's just kind of crazy. Right. Isn't there some Gosh. concern about, uh, security or, you know, privacy on, on, on TikTok? Isn't that what the, there's been a lot of complaints about. Yeah, yeah. the US government is unhappy um, that uh, supposedly the Chinese government has access to data. Uh, the US government complaining about this is kind of hilarious, though, like as the, the NSA and the five eyes and all that sort of stuff. By having the servers located in the US, they control, you know, if they want to warrant or get something or get some information, it's yeah, they have the, the channels and they can pretty much make, make uh, Facebook's life pretty difficult with all the regulatory stuff and all, all that kind of jazz. But if it's China, then they kind of lose everything. They lose all control. So yeah, right. they're pretty panicked about how successful it's been, I think, uh, and just the lack of control they have. Frankly, it's like shocking that a small Chinese company has been able to do this so well. Um, and Facebook hasn't done it as, as good of a job yet. This is another example of like, they have literally probably a hundred times the resources uh, and they, uh, yeah, this little uh, tiny startup, I think. I'm sure it's not a startup at the moment, but no, pretty, pretty meteoric uh, rise. You know, compared to Snapchat or any of those, like, I don't want to say garbage, but I never really got onto it or understood. I found that UI pretty hard to deal with. Well, I'm going to have to. Different ways. Yeah. I'm going to have to investigate this uh, TikTok then. Yeah. See what I can learn. So, how do you how do you how do you find content on it? There's a uh, a discover button. And you tap the discover button and type in a word. Yep. And then I think maybe maybe one of the like the smart things they've done is not over personalize the discover area. It's just a guess, but when you type in a word like financial, I think you might get the, like the highest ranking top 10 TikTok financial videos. And so those have already been liked maybe a hundred thousand times by someone. Right. So, you know, you can get a video that, you know, it's, it must be somewhat engaging. Otherwise you probably yeah. wouldn't, like how many people wouldn't like it. 
Yeah. And so as you're scrolling through that, you're finding these content creators and you follow them. Uh, they're creating a bunch of other content that's all in very small bite-sized bits. Um, and yeah, they've done a great job. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for your time today. No worries. My pleasure. I've, en nice I've enjoyed the talk. We've been speaking with Daniel Camilleri, Senior User Experience Researcher at Afterpay. If you enjoyed this interview, be sure to check out any of our prior conversations and watch out for the new ones coming up.